Welcome to episode seven of the Hail Married podcast. I'm A. Togues, and I'm joined by my husband, The Togues. It's our seventh episode, and the Roadrunners reached their seventh win. We're going to make some hot takes on our win over North Texas, as well as throw some Hail Mary shots downfield for our listeners to love or hate. And November to Remember was the motto for UTSA this month, and they achieved it. Three games and three wins, capping off a successful month and year with a beatdown of interstate rival North Texas, 49-17. On senior night, the Roadrunners were out to avenge last year's painful loss, and avenge it they did. While the offense was forced to punt on their first drive, they started the game with more energy than they have in the last several. A 53-yard field goal attempt on their second drive was just short of the goal. But the offense didn't have to wait long before they were back on the field, thanks to a well-timed interception by Rashad Wisdom. This time, the Roadrunners would march down the field and score on a 19-yard run by Frank Harris. The Roadrunners never looked back, holding the lead the rest of the game. They would add three more touchdowns in the second quarter, an eight-yard pass to Josh Cephas, a 65-yard breakout run by Sincere McCormick, and a 15-yard pass to DeCorian Clark on the drive following an interception by Clarence Hicks to take a commanding 28-7 lead at halftime. In the second half, the runners extended their lead, adding three rushing touchdowns, a four-yard rush from Brennan Brady, a seven-yard run from Sincere McCormick, and a nine-yard rush from B.J. Daniels. Overall, the Mean Greens struggled to get anything going offensively, playing both quarterbacks and trying to feed their leading rusher and wide receiver, but they just couldn't manage to score more than 17 points against a superior Roadrunner defense. The Roadrunners ended senior night with a number of records. They achieved a school record 624 yards of offense, which included a record 443 yards of rushing offense. Sincere McCormick broke his own single-game record with 251 yards on 23 carries, and with his fourth interception of the season, Rashad Wisdom tied the single-season interception record. Over the year, Trailer has made the analogy that each week of the season is like a chapter of a book. While we still don't know if there will be a chapter 12 or an epilogue to the season, we can say chapter 11 gave us an exciting ending and left us looking forward to the sequel. What a November to remember. I'm going to throw some stats at you because I did kind of retweet. Um, I think it was actually Stephen Whitaker who had taken the, the video, but it was really Javi who, who tweeted it. And that's this. In the two home games in November, UNT and UTEP, they outscored both 101 to 38. They outgained them 1224 to 647. And they had four takeaways to zero that they turned over. Um, so there was dominance, but again, you look at just November as a whole and you add in that Southern Miss, you're talking about outscoring them 124 to 58. Mm-hmm. You're talking about outgaining 1528 to 994. And you're talking about having um, a total of or creating five turnovers and only turning the ball over once. I, I mean, this is a team that last year seemed to be, couldn't create turnovers. Mm-hmm couldn't uh stop from turning the ball over i get that they were younger but still there was you know it just seemed like they were air prone and this year they cleaned it up and here they are marching at the very end of the year which we knew that they would probably be able to you know hold up well especially with the fact that they got that time off against rice Mm -hmm. um but I, i think that what was really huge here is the fact that again they're not turning the ball over and uh they're playing great defense i mean those are just this is a good recipe for the end of the year, uh, and it really helps. And that offense, even though it had sputtered at times and struggled, 
it made November just again memorable. I mean, it was right. great. It's been a really long time since we had a November like this. I mean, really, the closest was 2013. Um, that was the same year that we went undefeated in November. We also um, had seven wins, um, and we had that very satisfying win against North Texas at the end of the year. Um, so lots of lots of things to compare to 2013. Um, I think somebody had tweeted out like we should party like it's 2013. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, definitely a November to remember. I mean that the 2013 team is kind of almost lauded as probably one of the best, if not the best, in UTSA history. Why I think this team, this 2020 version has to either overtake them or at least be tied with them in terms of being the top UTSA football team uh, of all time, because this, this team is just so talented. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they, they do have a lot of talent, a lot of areas uh, more abundant in some areas than others, but it's the way they play together and the way they just seem to rally around each other, especially around their coach mm -hmm. that, you know, it just makes a whole difference. Um, right. You know, I, I think we've lauded trailer this entire year, but, um, you know, I just think that I know everybody's kind of pining for him to get like the conference USA coach of the year, national coach of the year. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I don't care because I think we, we know for one thing for sure, we've got the coach that I think we need. We've said it before right. in our, in our podcast. And I think this just really cements it, especially seeing how he's handled not only all the COVID and everything going on, but let's go back just a couple of weeks ago where Jess Lepp takes over as defensive coordinator. Right. One of his coordinators is out. Like, you know, if, as if he hadn't been thrown <laughs> enough obstacles, right. he's able to turn this around. So opportunity I, I just, versus <clears throat> instead of adversity, right? Is right. That what I keep saying? <laughs> exactly. So we get to the game then let's go over the defense really quickly. Um, you know, I, I think while they weren't so spectacular, I think, you know, people were looking at some, you know, saying that they played well, but, mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't like the most spectacular game. You know, I kept telling you during the game, it's like they're just making North Texas work hard. Right. And for quick, explosive teams like North Texas, it gets frustrating if you're trying to make them march down the field instead of giving that opportunity to hit that quick strike for a touchdown. Mm -hmm. They got the quick strike on just what looked like just a bad defense. Like we just right. broke down in that, that play. But I thought that... Uh, we just played smart on defense again, making them work hard, and in doing so, frustrating them so much that it seemed like they were beginning to press on plays, mm -hmm. and that just it just really kind of um, played into the hands of UTSA, especially the defensive line. Defensive line was wrecking havoc once again. I mean, you right. only got three guys to their five, and we were still wrecking havoc. We were still sending pressure. Lep did a really good job of again, kind of he's really I think done well in terms of getting into the defensive coordinator position. Mm -hmm. um, but I thought that, you know, he called a good game and put these guys in the right position um, to succeed. Yeah, he definitely seemed to be more confident in his play calling. I mean, one of the things that they talked about was that, you know, they were definitely going to have to play fast because North Texas likes to have up-tempo. Um, and it seemed like there were a couple of times in previous two games where you know, it was taking them a while to get those play calls on the defense. Um, so it was nice to see that they didn't struggle with that because that could have been really the difference in this game. And that frustrated you so much early in the year because when, <laughs> because when we would be talking about the defense or watching the defense on the field, you'd start getting frustrated, whether we were in the dome watching them or we we're on TV, 
and we're watching them, you keep looking over at me like, you know, why are they still looking on the side of the field? Like they're about to, you know, whoever insert opponent is about to snap the ball and we're still looking at the side of the field. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think you're right. I think there was, uh, they did a great job of preparing and making sure that they got those plays in, in order to match North Texas. And I didn't ever see a point where UTSA was really kind of stuck looking at the sideline or mm-hmm. caught off guard. It seemed like they were prepared and, you know, I think that's a big testament to both LEP and trailer is that I think they're really instilling into this team as to look, you prepare hard during the week and look at the, reap the benefits right. um, on Saturdays. Yeah. And they, you know, definitely got to the the quarterbacks um, in North Texas. I mean, not necessarily on tackles, but they got in their head. I mean, both of them just really struggled. Um, very low quarterback ratings. Um, I don't know how, how you pronounce his name. Ayun had nine of 19 for 115 yards and Bean was five of 14 for 102 yards. I mean, it's probably one of their worst games of the season. Um, so they obviously were really thrown off by our defense. Yeah. I mean, it, it did at times, I felt like it, it felt like we had maybe a 12th, a 12th player out there. I mean, we didn't, but mm-hmm. it felt like it because we were just kind of swarming to the ball. We were getting there uh, again, we were giving up some plays in terms of, you know, but, you know, some chunk yards, but for the most part, we were holding them to the point where, again, making it so hard for them to get down the field. And I think it just kind of led to that frustration because they, I think they really wanted to bombs away on this defense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, look what happened when they did, um, you know, Rashad got an interception, like you talked about earlier. Right. Um, and we disguised coverages. That's where the Clarence Hicks um Interception. interception came through i felt like and maybe i'm wrong on here but it felt like he thought that clarence hicks was going to blitz and clarence just dropped off and he still tried to force that ball in there and beam and is was trying to force it in there so um just i thought it was just solid team play by the defense i, I get that it wasn't spectacular but i think it was everything that the team needed to succeed on saturday yeah and you know we saw better tackling it wasn't great but it was still better than it has been and especially what gets last game you know that was one of their focuses for the week and you know again they made improvements you know they're gonna have to continue to improve on those um in the off season for next year but yeah it it didn't look like they were going through the like like trying to do the shoulder shots Mm -hmm. which is what they were doing in the against southern mist where they were trying to come in kind of hard with the shoulder shots and Mm -hmm. it was like guys you got to just wrap up like you wrap up you'd be a little more sound in your technique and the play's over, yeah. like, instead of allowing these bigger plays. So. And you got to give a, a shout out to Ornstein because uh, he had some textbook <laughs> tackling um, on that uh, <laughs> kickoff return. I, I think I think it was Jared and Ralph model who's like, who said, like, that's my kicker. And so I give him the whole Terrell Owens gif where mm-hmm. you know, Terrell Owens always says crying, you know, saying, like, you know, that's my quarterback. Like, that's our kicker. Like, yeah. that was great to see. But again, Look, Ornstein is just handling kickoffs. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to get in there, but he got in there. Yep. I mean, it just kind of ta- tells you everything team you need football. about team. Exactly. <laughs> Complimentary football. He stuck it in there, and you were the one that told me right after that, oh, my gosh, they're just sort of, they're all swarming Ornstein. Like, everybody's, like, kind of on there. But, again, look, just look how tight this team is. Mm-hmm. That, that's that's big. Yeah, no more of the uh, Yanni having to high-five himself on the, the sideline. <laughs> <laughs> the saddest gif. It's yes. a great gif, but it's It's sad. <laughs> So we go to the offense. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't really know how much more accolades you can talk about this right. team. I mean, um, 
you know, sincere was sincere. You know, I keep telling, keep telling, you know, he's, he's like my Tim Duncan. He's, mm-hmm. he's just, he'll have his breakout games for the most part. You can count on him to get about 120, 130 rushing yards. Um, you know, he might get a touchdown or two in there, but he's going to be what's going to move this offense. So back in the sort of Spurs days, old Spurs days, um, you know, it used to be about double teaming Tim and making sure somebody else essentially hit a shot. With this team, it seems like we've got the players out there, but I thought Frank just handled the offense really well. Uh, and, and I was just – it was good to see Frank really do well against, I would say, a better opponent. Mm-hmm. We've talked about, or at least I have, <laughs> just kind of kind of kicked him around for the fact that he's done really well against FCS and against the bottom teams like UTEP. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I forget some of the other teams, but in anyway, Middle Tennessee, that's what I was thinking, sorry. Um but it was good to see him against a UNT team who, even though they don't have a great defense, still, he still had to, like, keep all these defenders out of the box for for Sincere. And it seemed like they went to more of an RPO where mm-hmm. he was reading the safety and he was making the right calls. Right. He wasn't handing off to Sincere when he saw that safety come down. Come down uh, and he was throwing the ball out to the receivers. And I think that more than anything is what really helped some of these big sincere runs. Sincere's obviously he's gonna make some great plays, but it really helped that Frank was in a zone early with some of these sort of short to medium passes. Right. Um, and he was hitting them. I mean, he was being accurate, it, which was a difference from Southern Miss where those passes were there, but he was missing. And you could see the see Southern Miss just adjust and start stacking the box there. Um. I thought it was interesting what uh, Trailer said in the post game, where they asked him why McCormick was still, you know, out on the field so late into the fourth quarter. Um, I don't remember what the score was at that point, but we had built up, you know, pretty good lead. And his response was, you know, well, he didn't want to be criticized or be on ESPN for, you know, having given up this big lead. You know, he wanted to win the game. So. Um, I just thought that was kind of interesting that he was like, ah, I left Sincere out there a little bit longer so I could, you know, make sure we really shirt up this win. But the funny part is that he had about, I want to say about 188 rushing yards at halftime. Mm-hmm. And I think he had like maybe 60 to 70 yards in the second half. Really the only person, honestly, that could stop Sincere yesterday was Jeff Trailer because he kept him off the field. Right. I mean, sure, he did bench him like essentially, you know, earlier in the fourth quarter, but it seemed like North Texas started adjusting a little bit, but those passes were still out there. So, I mean, the team just kept moving, and mm-hmm. I think that's that's big. And you saw a fresh Frank, uh, you know, be able to at least run the ball. He's not coming off some sort of injury. So I think it was good to, for him to also finish the season because, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I just felt like he needed that. Mm-hmm. And his offensive line kept him clean. There was a little bit of pressure early on, but – the line, I think, did a great job, not only for for Frank, but also for Sincere. Right. Um, so th- it was big. It was. I, th- I thought it was just the offense just, I mean, you see the numbers. You see B.J. Daniels come in, score, which was great because he's right. a you know, senior. senior. You saw Kadari Johnson break that late, um, <laughs> yeah. that late run. I was telling you. I hope they don't they don't try to um, kneel it here because it's going to get it below 600 yards again. Kind of like we had the problem against UTEP. Right. Uh, it seemed a little selfish for me to be asking for asking for that, but he broke off a 
big run and at that point you're like all right great we're not right. gonna worry about it we can kneel it and they're not gonna get on josh atkins for kneeling too far away from them <laughs> and losing too many yards <laughs> yeah and you know and it was good particularly to see him have a good play because you know he really hasn't been on the field and um you know we just saw on twitter that he got in a scholarship this year so you know nice way to kind of end the season for him yeah absolutely i mean i just think it was it was really good to see how this team built towards the very end mm-hmm. um, and really was able to, I'd say, start a little rough. I mean, that Texas State game, when we look back at it, um, they did kind of just fall apart. You know, they, they they did get tired. Right. But to go from that and us thinking, well, maybe this defense isn't going to be very good and this offense is going to have to put up you know 50 points yeah, yeah. <laughs> 30 well trailer kept saying 30. over 30 points a game to win um i don't think i mean you look back at these you see that they don't really have to put up those more than 30 points but it, it tells you just how much they improved that that uh, deficit uh, between um and the games proved to be just here these guys finally got into a good comfort spot and they started learning and they started applying and look what it got us to yep. so it was a nice crescendo at the very end of the year well, it was good to see Josh Adkins get some more playing time, but I got to tell you, I got a little nervous there at the end when it looked like, you know, I, I forget who was running, but, you know, where you typically see a run and Frank hands it off to Sincere or Brady or whoever, and he kind of steps back. Josh, on the other hand, hands off the ball, and then he runs forward and starts, like, you know, blocking for the runner, <laughs> which was great, except I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, he's going to get hurt again. Like, please don't hit him, <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny, right? Because we, we've now gone from, oh my gosh, Frank is going to get hurt to now like just getting worried that Josh is going to get know. hurt. Um, so no, I mean, I think that's just, that's just team ball from there. I mean, I think right. that's, that's what it is. And I mean, I get, I get the whole worry, but it's, it's just fun to see these guys just to have a smile on their face and really look how hard they've worked all season right. and to have it, you know, culminate in this and have little moments like what you're talking about yeah. or either Ornstein, you know, getting that big tackle you know, Adkins going out and doing some blocking or, you know, just having the defense just Rashad went out and we thought, uh oh, well, there's a problem. And they right. started attacking us right away. Yet, uh, I believe it was Savion, maybe it was Kalechi that came in for him. I think it was Savion that came in and it didn't seem like they really missed too much of a beat. Right. Which... Well, after last year and having sat through that very, very painful game and didn't, um, it was really good to see such an exciting win this year. <laughs> See the tables turned this year. It was. And a uh, real quick shout out, though, to the Bad Burst, because we were actually right next to them against North, <laughs> North, the North Texas. Texas game. We yeah. had no clue of who they were, but, you know, we learned later what they were going to become. Uh, and they sat through it, too. Uh, yeah. They were they were cheering the team on hard. At that point, I had already given up and said, do we fire Frank Wilson after this? Like, yeah. I mean, I, that's really what my question was. It wasn't like, are we going to ever be able to show our faces in Denton? But um, I think it's going to be interesting the next couple of years. Absolutely. Let's talk about what we learned from the game. Yeah. And I don't know if there's a lot of anything new, um, but for me, one of the first things was establishment of a branded culture has meant the world to this team. You know, it's hard to ignore those single digit players on the field i mean usually when we're talking about who's making plays mm-hmm. who is who's the one you know scoring who is you know making the interceptions you just see single digit players and I, I think it's it's really proven big for trailer to have come in with this culture and said these are the guys 
that are going to be essentially the pillars of this team. They exemplify my brand, and that's why I want to make sure that it's essentially marketed. And, you know, I think it's, he's always coy in his, you know, in most of his interviews about who's going to play, where they're going to play. But I think what he's also done is just made it so much easier for a target to be on these, you know, for opponents to put a target on these, uh, you know, single digit players. Right. Yet we still have other playmakers elsewhere. It doesn't mean that ever, nobody else is tough or, you know, doesn't right. exemplify these, you know, these attributes, but it says a lot about the fact that even though you're going to try to stop them and you just can't stop them. Mm-hmm. Hashtags and Cedar McCormick, right? <laughs> right. But I thought there was two key quotes, even for this culture that he's brought, you know, he was big and he said it before and he's troubled it more now because of the seniors, you know, and I think you kind of caught onto it as well, but it's that big, I didn't choose them. They chose me. Right. Everybody could have transferred. There could have been a mass transfers. They could have just been, you know, UTSA doesn't have the facilities. UTSA isn't this team. I mean, BJ Daniels was on the transfer portal, right? He never transferred. Um, I don't know, uh, you know, obviously if he was talked to by the coaches or, you know, if they said anything to him, um, but I mean, he ended up staying right. and there's nobody else that left. And I think there's enough talent on this team to show that they could have gone elsewhere. They could have gone right up 35 to Texas state and right. helped out, uh, Spavital up there and made Texas state a stronger team, but they didn't, they stayed at UTSA. Um, but I think. Most of all, and I think the reason why everybody wants or chose Trailer is a quote he had, I think it was earlier this week in an interview when he said, when you show a kid you love them, they'll run through a brick wall for you. I think it just completely symbolizes the triangle toughness culture. Mm -hmm. He's... I mean, we've seen it. We've talked about it in the podcast before, how much he loves his players. He's all, it's about those guys. It's a player's game. It's this. He, I'm going to say this. He is the player's biggest fan. Right. Forget their parents. Forget, I mean, you see Mama Wisdom out there and she's trumpeting all the Judson players, her own son. Mm-hmm. But I don't think there's a bigger fan of Rashad than Jeff Trailer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's saying something. And I, I mean, again, he didn't recruit Rashad. Yet he probably sat down with him at some point and talked to him. Well, we know he did when, you know, right. obviously he had the problems started. with the tackling. But at some point he talked with him and said, you know, here's why you're my guy. Yep. And I'm just using his words too. My guy, my dudes. I mean, that's, there's just so much outpouring of love for his players. And I think that that's just one of the smallest things. Yet it speaks so much in terms of how successful they've been this year. Yeah. I mean, if you look back at this team, the players that we had and you know in some cases in 2018 and you know definitely last year in 2019 you have almost all the same guys on the field you know yes you can argue okay well they have another year of experience behind them but they're the same kids and we have the same facilities we have the same you know recruiting challenges at this point we're still selling you know this promise of the race facility now at least it's being built but i mean you're still you know selling a future not you know your current situation and really the difference has come down to coaching play calling and culture um and you know for those that think that maybe things would have been different with the other coach if you know they had one more year with these kids i don't think 
that that would have been the situation because the culture wasn't the same. The play calling wasn't the same. And, and just the interaction between the coaches and the kids was not the same. No, no. And then I think as much as even if the coaching was near the same on the field, I would say it, it's that off, off the field sort of love for each other and just expressing mm-hmm. to them how much they really cared that whole us against the world last year just didn't work out. I mean, Mm -hmm. it it was sort of, it it was just not there. It it wasn't what it should have been and it didn't lead to anything. It it just led to another, I I shouldn't say it did lead to something. It led to another losing record is what it did, Mm -hmm. but there was no passion. You see these guys play and they're excited to get back on the field on Saturdays. And it's really just to see, I think trailer smiling at them. Yeah. Or pumping them up or, you know, pumping them up or I would say propping them up. <laughs> yeah. And, and a lot of the, the assistant coaches, too. I mean, you see the interaction between these assistant coaches um, and the players, you know, on Twitter, you know, again, at the beginning of the season between them and the fan base. It's just a different, definitely a different feel and a different culture that's been set up. And we've said, and you know, it's been said many times by us and by others, but due to all the obstacles this year, it shouldn't have happened. Right. Like that there should have been challenges. But like you brought up last week, coaching does matter because of the fact that you see where the better coaches have been able to uh take on these obstacles and right. succeed. Right, rise to the occasion. Yeah. You know, it was kind of interesting because someone had um retweeted um uh, Don Harris's tweet from last year. Um, and said, you know, this, this tweet didn't age well where, you know, Don Harris was talking about how, you know, the university had made a mistake firing Frank Wilson and that, you know, really the problems with the university were the facilities and the budget. Um, and, you know, that whoever came in was going to have the same challenges and, and was ultimately not going to be successful. And it's just interesting to see that right now, because, you know, obviously he was very wrong. Um, I disagreed with the tweet at the time. Um, facilities and a budget don't make a coach su- or team successful. Um, if that was the case, every power five school um, would have a winning record because almost every single power five school has great facilities and they've got a much bigger budget than UTSA, um, but they don't all have winning records. Um, nor do they have trailer. <laughs> nor do they have trailer or someone like trailer. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was essentially Wilson throwing a tantrum, telling his buddy afterwards, yeah, I just got fired from my job. This place sucks. <laughs> and his buddy then standing up for him and saying, you're not going to be able, nobody's going to be able to do well here because of this. Mm-hmm. Now, I think the counter argument right now would be, well, it's just one season. But I think there's a difference mm-hmm. in, in what you see and what you're seeing on the field in terms of just game management, team management. I think just most importantly of, again, like you said, you're selling something, a future. And, you know, he's been prepping up, I said the trailer's been propping up this race facility. He didn't have to prop it up. But I think what's key in that is that he's invested here for a while because he's talked about putting in the triangle toughness somewhere in the race facility and mm-hmm. really keeping that to that brand and saying, this is what UTSA should be about. Um, you never got that, I would say, from Coker or from Wilson, but right. definitely from Wilson. I think 
you know, again, throwing that tantrum on the way out and Don Harris coming in and saying this, you know, you just kind of want to say, Don, trailer still can't shower on facilities, but, yeah, but he's seven at, and four. <laughs> he's, he's seven and four. But look what COVID. he did this year. <laughs> yeah. And it's essentially, it's the same conference schedule. So you can't say there's difference right. in terms of too big of a difference in terms of schedule. They're still playing the same conference opponents. And yet you see the difference in terms right. of, you know, those results. Absolutely. So, I mean, I, I think there's still clearly, that's the other thing that we just need to want to say is that's what we learned is there's still some bitter feelings between uh, towards Frank Wilson, but it's from the players because there was a lot of players yesterday and have been coming out that have been saying either you want to play for a coach that loves you, you want to play for, you know, someone that's really going to develop you. Right. But then I thought the one that was big was Frank Harris essentially commenting to Lisa Campos and saying, thank you, Dr. Campos for giving this trailer. I mean, here's the, here's the quarterback saying that here's right. the guy that probably could have derailed everything by just saying, you know what? I'm out. I've had injury filled seasons. Well, the guy that, that he, and he got me. benched this year. I mean, yeah. he got benched for a little while at one point. So, you know, he, you could say that he had a right to be, you know, kind of upset or at, at odds with trailer at some point, but to have him come back and have that kind of endorsement, um, it just says everything. Yeah. And I mean, I, I just can't say enough about Frank like that, that I think there told you everything you needed to know about what this year was about. They need a trailer just as much as I think trailer needed these kids. So. Yep. Um, so I guess my last question for you really is how does the uncertainty with the conference championship game affect the bowl games this year? I mean, we are sitting at the end of our regular season and we really don't know, first of all, who's going to be in that conference championship. And, um, you know, we're, we're just a couple of weeks away. I mean, I think the percentages are low for us to be in the championship game. I think that's more of a dream. I think making sure or at least crossing your fingers now that more bowl games aren't canceled because of COVID, mm -hmm. um, you know, with, with the rates rising with, you know, other things happening around, you're seeing more and more schools having issues, which by the way, we knew was going to happen. You know, we've been waiting for winter where people had said before, those rates are going to go up. Right. This is what's going to start happening. And yet teams still waited towards the end till, you know, you had big 10 wait till the end of October, essentially to start their season. Pac, Pac 12 did the same thing. They waited long, you know, quite a bit to get in there. So, I mean, I guess this is where we lose something with not having somebody that's over all the conferences because it's not like somebody can come back and tell Conference USA, you guys need to make a decision. But it also speaks poorly of Conference USA that they haven't been able to come out and say, oh, look, you know, games are being canceled. We're going to need to step in and make these adjustments to make sure that there's a clear cut answer. Right. Because to your point, there's there's going to be this sort of gap, short gap between potentially the first bowl game and conference USA championship. I mean, honestly, the Frisco bowl, which is the one that we've been talked about the most in terms of, you know, UTSA going to a bowl is the 19th and the conference championship game is the 18th. So if you make that conference championship game, you can't be in the Frisco bowl, but right now the way it looks in the West it's going to come down to the UAB Rice game on December 12th. So if UAB wins, they're in. 
if they lose, we're in. So if we're looking at the Frisco Bowl, are they really going to wait until December 12th to get a commitment from UTSA to say, yes, you're going to play the following week or no? Because what happens if it's a no? You have to have a backup team. And I don't know that that's going to be a really good situation for the Frisco Bowl. So if we have to say no to them because we're trying to figure out what's going on with the Conference USA Championship, does that mean that we then lose out you know, on an opportunity to go to a bowl? Because we don't necessarily know who else is going to be willing to pick us. Um, I mean, you know, looking at everything now, it seems like what Conference USA probably should have done was after UTSA won, since we were the only game playing last um, Saturday, they should have then looked at the schedule and said, what games need to happen to determine the championship? Rice doesn't need to play Marshall. I mean, I guess if Marshall loses to Rice or FIU, which are their next two games, sure, that could throw the East into some confusion. But right now, they're very unlikely to lose either one of those games. If Marshall lost to either two of those teams, they would have deserved to be in the championship anyway. Consider, no. I mean, they they're the best team in Conference USA. We know that whoever from the West go is you know is crowned is going to have to go to Huntington and probably get beat up by Marshall. So. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I, I mean, think it was a great idea from you. You should have just said, look, Rice doesn't need to play Marshall. They need to play UAB. UAB is not playing anybody next week. Right. Move the game up a week. We could have figured out what's going on in the fifth, and then it wouldn't have been such a rush to figure out the Bulls. Um, but, you know, that's just my take. <laughs> I mean, it, it just seems, you're right, it, it, what it does is kind of put everything in jeopardy. And it seems also like the Bulls are just being inflexible. Like I get that they've been set for certain dates, mm -hmm. but I think they also have to realize think times are changing. So are you going to change too? If, if everybody's going to continue being dates. yeah inflexible, then I, I think you're just going to create a bigger mess than you really could have done. I, I think there's, again, had there been somebody that was over all these conferences, you know, a president, mm -hmm you can figure some of this out, but it just seems like because every conference is out for their best interests and they don't even know what they're doing. I mean, Conference USA, again, like you said, they could have stepped in, did something, they didn't do anything. Because of all this happening, now there seems to be all this just so much uncertainty. So right. why create all that? You you could be a, you know prepared ahead of time, but I guess preparation is not something that Conference USA or other conferences have been, I think, done well at. So, right. you know. All right, so who do you have as your offensive player of the game? Well, for my bootleg honorable mention, um, I'm going to start out with the offensive line. I thought that they played well. In particular, though, my boy Maka came through again. <laughs> um, you know, you had Dion Noble from uh, North Texas, who was touted as his big-time, you know, defensive tackle. He's going to cause havoc. And Maka, for the most part, I think, went one-on-one -on -one with him. He did get some help from Kevin Davis at times, but, you know, essentially neutralized that threat. Right. Therein, just essentially creating room for Sincere to operate, giving Frank time. Frank, honestly, aside from, I think, a couple of pressures, for the most part, had a clean pocket, was mm -hmm. able to sit back there. He still made some quicker throws, but he had the time to do all that. He didn't right. have to worry about anybody coming up and really – it's the biggest thing is coming up right, right up the middle. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, I again, I've propped up Maka since our first episode. 
But, you know, I think it's big that you have a guy who essentially is going to be here for next year, hopefully, mm-hmm. <laughs> unless he decides to do something else, but who is anchoring your line at center. Right. Um, it, it means a lot for the for the offensive players. So with that, I would say the players, I'm going to go co-players of the game. All right. I'm going sincere, obvious, obvious reasons. Guy had a, just a monster game. Right. Again, only person that, that stopped him was Jeff Trailer. Yep. I'm just keeping him on the sideline. He overtook Brees Hall again. He's back to being um, the number one um, running back um, in terms of yards. So, yeah. Um, I mean, again, how much more can you say about the kid? Like the fact that Frank Wilson was able to, you know, convince him to come here to UTSA and he's turned out to be the best runner running back here in Conference USA. Uh, you know, I'm not going to get into the other conferences, but. He's our running back. It's mm-hmm. almost like you want to get the Terrell Owens emotional again after you talk yep. about Ornstein. That's my kicker. That's my running back right here. <laughs> but I have to really call out Frank Harris as my other co-offensive player of the game. And the reason, again, I said kind of outlined before, his command of the offense earlier, early in the game mm-hmm. was big. And I think it really helped open up running lanes for Sincere, but also helped him. And I think – What's big is you saw much more progression. It seemed mm-hmm. like he had more, again, he had more of those RPOs going on. So it felt like he had a better command of the offense and he felt so much more comfortable. Uh, he's in the Alamo Dome. So I think he just plays well at home. But I think that's just this next step is going on the road, recognizing some of this and being able to operate the offense. Because I think if he's playing well in terms of, you know, when the offense plays well, it's usually because Frank is right. operating well behind the I would say behind the driver's uh, driver's side of the car. So yeah, and you know I think they had much better play calling um, this game to set Frank up for success. You know I think it threw him off a little bit last time when they tried to throw those deep balls um, right at the beginning of the game and he wasn't successful connecting. Um, and so you didn't really see a lot of that this game. You saw a lot more of the short passes that Frank's much more comfortable with. Um, and so I think, you know, coming out with those types of plays in the beginning gave him that confidence and, you know, all in all, he had, he went 19 for 24, uh, for 144 yards passing. He had two passing touchdowns, 113 yards rushing on six carries and one rushing touchdown for him. So, I mean, I'll say this about him. Great game for him. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he's not going to force the ball very often. He's not a quarterback that's going to do that. So to see him again have the success and it was it was warranted. He's he's did a great job. So you know, hopefully he continues to build on that and hopefully he has another game to do he'll do that. All right. What about your defensive player of the game? Um, for the bootleg honorable mentions, I'm gonna give one to Clarence Hicks, not just because of the interception, but it felt like he played a really good game. I mean, I think I thought the the defense in general was just playing really well. Mm-hmm. So but that oh that defensive line has just it's done so well um, throughout uh, the season. Again, this game, they played just wonderfully. I, I thought Christian Clayton had his moments. Brandon Matterson had his moments. You know, Big Country was in there. Um, I just think overall they they have just done great uh, this season. Um, but my player of the game is going to be, I'd say for the second week in a row, is Trevor Harmonson. Um, he has just been playing incredibly well, uh, especially in the middle linebacker position. Um, I think he led the team in tackles, um, but uh, you know, having having him really step up and really come up the way he has has been crucial. So, yep, he had um, 
nine tackles and two quarterback hurries. Yeah, I mean, the, the guy was just – he was just all over the place. And, again, good to see him just having some success. Definitely. All right, before we go, i got to talk about my Iowa State Cyclones. <laughs> Finally. Had a huge win over UT this week um, with the trip to a Big 12 championship on the line. Um, I realize there's probably several UT fans listening right now, but I'm from Iowa. I grew up a Cyclone fan. Um, and I've watched them over the years in so many games where they control their own destiny, just play miserably or make mistakes. Um, and I was just so thrilled to see them come from behind um, and win this time. It was an ugly win, but it was a win. <laughs> uh, I mean, I thought they, they, they played well um, in terms of doing what they needed to win the game. I, mm -hmm. I thought they shot themselves in the foot quite a bit of times, but very similar to UTSA, their defense made stops when they needed to. They kept UT from um, getting in the end zone. They mm -hmm. held them to plenty of field goals. And, you know, at the very end, it, it still looked quite ominous because they were trying a 57-yard field goal, or at least UT was trying the 57-yard field goal. Right. I didn't think Dicker had enough of a leg to get it to 57 yards. He had plenty of leg. He, he could have gone from further out. It just went wide left. Right. Or it just kind of drifted left, I would should say. It didn't really go too wide left but um yeah it was it was great to it was a great game yeah and you know kudos to sam elliger he tried to get it done all by himself i mean that guy was out there rushing more than he typically does you know he had a good game but you know one of the things that trailer says all the time you gotta have team football and matt campbell says the thing same thing you know it's it's a team game you can't have one man trying you know to win the game by himself um, so you got to give them kudos for really trying to put that effort out there. But at the end of the day, you know, the Cyclones played team football and, you know, that was a difference maker. Um, the thing that I love, though, um, at the end of the game was Brees Hall's quote where he said the game was five star culture versus five star players. I mean, again, I love the parallels at times between Iowa State and Matt Campbell's culture and UTSA and Jeff Trailer's culture. But, you know, I think that quote really will resonate with the UTSA fans um, because, you know, Iowa State, they don't have any five-star players. Um, but one of the things that Matt Campbell's really been able to do with that team is to take those recruits that are three and four-star recruits and get them to play like five-star recruits. Um, he really knows how to build these guys up. And he's installed a culture at Iowa State um, and has really been able to reap, um, you know, the rewards of that culture. And, you know, again, much like we talked about trailer, Matt Campbell is that coach that players want to play hard for. Um, so it was really good to see them win. Um, next up for Iowa State, they've got a home game against West Virginia. And then um, every indication is that they'll be in the Big 12 championship. I mean, it sounds familiar, right? Again, here's the, those parallels you're talking about. <clears throat> Potentially, UTSA has an opportunity to get into the Conference USA Championship. Here are two good coaches who brought in really good cultures. Again, I would say five-star cultures, mm -hmm. and they're taking on teams. You know, here we took on PYU earlier in the year, and we hung with them more than we thought we would. Yep. Um, so the parallels are there, and hopefully if we can have the same success. And that was one of the things we did talk to Trailer about earlier in the signing uh, day um, yep. event, we we told them about how much 
we liked Matt Campbell. And if, you know, he can be anything like what Matt Campbell's at Iowa State here at UTSA, I, I don't think there would be any problem from any UTSA fan saying uh, that they're fine with Iowa, having an Iowa State type success right. at, the, at the Conference USA level. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us for the Hail Mary podcast. I'm Atos. Not the Toves. We are not sure when we're going to be back to review our next game, but we will be back soon with the second part of our special episode, looking back at 10 years of UTSA football. So see you soon. All right, guys. Birds up. Thank you.